Well, it was in the mid-2nd century that a man was asked to denounce his atheism. And the Roman official told him that all he had to do is denounce his atheism and that he would live. But the man, a guy named Polycarp, who was the bishop at a place called Smyrna. Now today we hear the word bishop and it's easy for us to associate that with the Catholic Church or with uh, different denominations who have bishops. Uh, for example, the Methodist Church. And a bishop will, will oversee a, quite a number of churches. But this wasn't like that. Polycarp was a bishop at a place called Smyrna. Smyrna, not far north of Ephesus. And Smyrna was, like Ephesus, one of those seven churches that John was asked to write a letter to in the early chapters of the book of Revelation. And so a bishop was simply, in the early church, is simply another name for overseer, or what we now today call, de- uh, excuse me, call elders. And so, and so Polycarp there with this Roman official asked to denounce his atheism. And you might wonder, well, if he is an overseer of an early church, why in the world would the Romans accuse him of being an atheist? And it's simply because he would not worship Roman gods and he would not consider the Roman emperor a god, as many of the Roman emperors considered themselves. And so Polycarp knew that there was only one god, and he refused to denounce him. And the Roman official even said, you know, denounce your faith and you get to live. It's that simple. But Polycarp is quoted as saying, Eighty-six years I have served Christ, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who saved me? He was not spared. A pyre was built, and he was burned alive. And the fire, some sources say, did not consume him. And so out of frustration, the Romans on hand then stabbed him to death. Now, church family, I told the story of Polycarp once before. Some of you may remember it. Some of you may have already been familiar with this bishop from the early church. But uh, it's, it's been over four years And like a book that we pick up four years later or a movie that we watch four years later, there are some things that we forget that need to be reminded of. Polycarp, when it comes to faithfulness, is to me one of the greatest examples of faithfulness. Now, he was not alone. The number of Christians who have died the world over, and some still are today, in some parts of the world because they refuse to denounce their faith. 
that is the greatest example of faithfulness that we could ever know. Jerry gave the example just a short while ago, and I wondered, I, I thought about the D-Day invasion, Jerry. Uh, I, I thought about the, the invasion of Europe uh, preparing for this week because everything, my handwritten notes and email that I sent out, everything said June the 6th. And that's a date uh, that, that certainly resonates with me as sort of a history buff. And so I appreciate Jerry's bringing that as an example because those men and women who gave their lives to this country, they were faithful for the cause of freedom. They were faithful to their country. Faithfulness comes in different forms. But Polycarp was certainly faithful to God. We look at faithfulness as part of our ongoing series, Becoming More Like Jesus. And so we've landed on that seventh of the nine fruits of the Spirit. And so looking at faithfulness this morning, the title of this message, Great is Thy Faithfulness. In Deuteronomy 32, it's toward the end of not only the book of Deuteronomy, but it's toward the the very end of the books of Moses. And so it is at this point that Moses has already met with Joshua and said, I am not crossing the Jordan. I'm going to die on this side of the river, and it is you that have to take the people of Israel across the Jordan into the land that God has promised us on oath. And that's when he utters the phrase for the first time. We see it repeatedly uh, in Joshua 1. But Moses tells Joshua, be strong and courageous. And then in chapter 32, we get what is called the Song of Moses. And it begins... Like this, listen, you heavens, and I will speak. Hear, you earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching fall like rain, and my words descend like dew, like shower on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. Abundant rain on tender plants. Not a stretch for our imagination, is it, church, between last night and this morning, and what we're going to see today. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect. And all His ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just is He. Just as we saw Polycarp's faithfulness to his faith. Now, Moses is telling us about God's faithfulness to us. Reminding us that He is a God of provision. He is the one who sends the rain. That He is the one whose works are perfect. He's the one whose ways are just. Now, in a world full of imperfection, in a world full of injustice at times... It would be easy, wouldn't it, church, to be cynical, to 
kind of sit back and say, no, wait a second. Is everything just? Is everything perfect? Well, for God it is. Because this world is not the one He intended for us. We have to be reminded of that. Church, i got to remind myself of that every day. Every single day. I have to remind myself at some point, Greg, this world is not our home. What's the song say? world's not my home. I'm just what, church? Passing through. That's right. It is temporary. It is finite. And what God has in store for us is a place of perfection. It is a place where we will for eternity, as has been mentioned this morning, you know, going on forever, that we will not have to deal with injustice. We will not have to deal with imperfection. In a matter of days, we're going to gather in this auditorium those of us who can be present and celebrate the life of our brother Howard Spears. And we're reminded in moments like that. Some of you are reminded every day of who you've lost in this life. Parents and spouses and children. And God bless you for your faithfulness in spite of the imperfections and the grief that you've experienced on this side of glory. But church, there is something better waiting for us. And Moses proclaims that in his song. He proclaims the faithfulness of God. stick is what we're really talking about when we talk about faithfulness. Something that's in the Urban Dictionary defined as dogged perseverance or resolute tenacity. The first time I ever heard uh, the, the word tenacity or tenacious, I think I was watching a basketball game, a college basketball game on ESPN some years ago. And Dick Vitale, uh, people either that, that like college basketball either love Dick Vitale or, they, or they're annoyed by him because of uh, the way he calls a game. But, but I'm, I personally have grown to love Dick Vitale just because of so much of his humanity has come through uh, in his, his uh, long broadcast career. But he was talking about tenacity or tenacious in response to a team's defense. And people that were undersized compared to their opponent, but they were playing with such tremendous heart, they refused to give up. They were absolutely uh, frustrating their opponent's offense. And that is the kind of perseverance, the kind of tenacity that is required of our faith, isn't it, church? That's what faithfulness is for us. It is simply the refusal to give up. We saw it with Polycarp. We certainly saw it with Moses. And I love how Scripture, church, gives us these people who are incredibly imperfect. That God's Word is full of people who mess up. 
God's word is full of people like Moses who loses his cool one day and lashes out against an Egyptian and takes his life. Buries him in the sand thinking, hey, nobody is going to know. But then the very next day finds out that someone saw the deed. And so he runs off to Midian for 40 years. And then later, leading the people of Israel, in his frustration, he strikes a rock and demands water of it in a way that God did not instruct him that time. And it was for that sin that God said, you're not the one who's going to lead my people into the land I've promised. You're going to sit it out. You're going to stay on this side of the river. Now you talk about a benching for someone who had been so faithful for so long. But yet, how do we look at Moses and call him anything but faithful, right church? How do we look at someone like David and call him anything but faithful? The Hebrews writer describing him as a man after God's own heart. But we know David's deeds. We remember those names, Bathsheba and Uriah. We know what David did. And yet in the eyes of God, his sins, or the sins of Moses, were no worse than the sins of any of us. We know the faithfulness of Paul. We know the beatings that he endured for the cause of Christ. Being shipwrecked. Being put in prison multiple times. But yet, he was also the guy who was standing there giving his approval when Stephen was being stoned to death. And so Holy Scripture shows us that faithful people, church, are not perfect people. And so as we gather here on a rainy morning, this misfit group of sinners saved by grace... We are still people who have been given gifts. We are still people who've been recipients of God's grace and God's mercy. We are still a people who are called to use our gifts for the glory of God's kingdom. And we are still people who are forgiven if we only ask to be forgiven. And why are we forgiven? We're going to get to that in just a little bit. But when we talk about faithfulness and it coming in different forms, something we have to be aware of is not just faithfulness to God and not just God's faithfulness to us, but the need for us to be faithful to one another. Robertson McQuilkin was the president of uh, Columbia Bible College uh, back in the late 70s and up to 1990. It's now called Columbia International University. But he was realizing his need 
to focus his attention on caring for his wife, Muriel. And so he wrote a letter uh, to the constituency of the college announcing or explaining why he was stepping down from the college. His wife, Muriel, uh, was suffering from early onset Alzheimer's. And so a portion of his letter read like this. Recently it has become apparent that Muriel is contented most of the time she is with me and almost none of the time I am away from her. It is not just discontent. She is filled with fear, even terror, that she has lost me and always goes in search of me when I leave home. So it is clear to me that she needs me now full time. The decision was made in a way 42 years ago when I promised to care for Muriel in sickness and in health till death do us part. So as I told the students and faculty as a man of my word, integrity has something to do with it, but so does fairness. She has cared for me fully and sacrificially all these years. If I cared for her for the next 42 years, I would not be out of her debt. Now how is that perspective for a spouse, church? Duty, however, can be grim and stoic, but there is more. I love Muriel. She is a light to me. Her childlike dependence and confidence in me, her warm love, occasional flashes of that wit I used to relish so much, her happy spirit and tough resilience in the face of her continual distressing frustration. I don't have to care for her. I get to care for her, he wrote. It is a high honor to care for so wonderful a person. What is it that Robertson McQuilkin remembered? He remembered a promise that he had made more than 40 years earlier. He remembered his vows. And church, what a wonderful example of someone who remembered their vows from more than four decades previously. And who said, i got to step down as the president of this college because this woman needs me. And I am the only person that can care for her in a way that will truly satisfy her right now. Church, that's what faithfulness looks like. And so we ask the question, what does it look like to be faithful to other people? Well, that is exactly what it looks like. And then finally, I want us to look at Christ's faithfulness. From Mark 14, verses 34 through 36, He told them, My soul is crushed crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and watch with me. He went on a little farther and fell face down on the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will, not mine. 
And so, there's Jesus in the garden. He has been in the upper room with the twelve. And now he has gone out to the garden taking only with him Peter, James, and John. Asking them to stay awake. We know they fell short of that request, don't we church? They fell short of being able to just stay awake and keep watch. He knew what was about to happen. And he tells them, my soul is crushed with grief. I'm overwhelmed. Even to the point of death. And prays this prayer asking God, if there's any way to avoid what I know is about to happen, that would be great. But ultimately, church, he has enough faithfulness. He has enough tenacity to stick to the mission for which he came. And so, notice the end of verse 36. Yet, I want your will, not mine. And church, that's what faithfulness looks like. When we can say, God, uh, this may not be the best for me, but if it's the best for someone else. Robert McQuilkin knew what was best for his wife. Polycarp knew what was right and what was best for the kingdom of God. Moses understood faithfulness even in the face of his own shortcomings. And so, Jesus here reminds us of his faithfulness to us. Saying, you're going to be a forgiven people because I'm going to shed my blood for every one of your sins. If you will merely own your sin and repent of your sin, you will be forgiven. And so, Jesus, when we talk about paying the ultimate price, certainly knew that he had to pay the ultimate price. And as Jerry reminded us, what a joy it is, right brother? To gather around this table every Sunday morning in the Lord's house on the Lord's day with the Lord's people and to be able to take the Lord's Supper because we remember a Savior who would not stay dead. And if we ask, how then can we take this message out into the world around us, out into Hohenwald in Lewis County, Tennessee? It's church that we love God and love others. If we're going to be a faithful people, if we are going to bear that fruit of the Spirit, then we just need to be people who faithfully love God, not turning away that love God with a stick to with a tenacity. But church, here's the hardest part, that we love others with that same tenacity. That we look at other people, no matter how much they've hurt us, no matter how much they've let us down, no matter how much they break our hearts or disappoint us, that we look at others 
and say, I refuse to stop loving you. That we look at others and say, nothing that person does, nothing any person does, is going to keep me from loving them. Church family, that is the task before us. If we're going to bear this fruit of the Spirit, if we're going to bear faithfulness, that we say to God, God, I'm going to keep loving you no matter how much my heart is broken on this side of glory because I know there's something better waits for us. And to all the other people in our life, that I'm going to keep loving them no matter what they do because I want people to keep loving me no matter what I do. And church, that is the task before us. Until such a time, we hear that phrase, well done, good, and faithful servant. From the words of Matthew's Gospel. If you're with us this morning, and you don't yet have the hope of hearing those words because you have not yet accepted Christ as Savior and been immersed in the waters of baptism, we offer an invitation so that you can change that once and for all. And if you're with us this morning and you need the prayers of a loving congregation about whatever might be concerning or weighing on you, we offer the invitation for that reason as well. Let's stand together and sing. I heard an old